0: If I'm a GraphQL server, you're a GraphQL client, you can query me for data, and I'll respond to you with data. But you can also query me for, hey, what models do you have? And I'll tell you the models. And then you can say, but can you describe this product model for me? And then I'll tell you, hey, a product has an ID and a name and a nested brand. So that ability makes GraphQL the coolest thing. It's common to have, oh, well, we have the next big database. We have the next big this. But to have technology that changes the politics of how a team works, that's very rare. And it's amazing that we've gotten this far in such a short amount of time. Hey,
1: this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. So, welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. In the house, we've got Tenmai Gopal.
0: Hi, folks. Uh, I'm Tanmai. I'm one of the uh, founders at Hasura. We do GraphQL for uh, on Postgres.
1: Cool. I mean, yeah. Let's just start there. What is Hasura like? What
0: sort of problems are you guys solving? Absolutely. So, the core of the product is essentially that we help teams kind of start getting productive with GraphQL super fast, especially real-time GraphQL because real-time GraphQL is a little hard to do.
1: What uh, do you mean
0: by real-time GraphQL? Like GraphQL subscriptions or okay, live gotcha. queries. Basically, like you want to build an application that's kind of reacting real-time to things that's happening in the back end. Right? Okay. And so we kind of provide that API layer and we create that API layer automatically on top of an existing database or a new database. So today we have Postgres, eventually we'll have other databases as well but that's kind of what the product does so the aim is to kind of help people get productive with the crud and the real time part of graphql yeah. so typically if you look at an application a bunch of it is cruddy or you know needs real time and then the other bunch of it is has uh, you know business logic implications yeah. so we want to help people with the crud and the real time portion of it so that you can delegate that part to hasura and then yeah. you can do the rest you know in your favorite graphql framework however you want to write the server so when you say like postgres
1: specifically one why postgres is it postgres only and it, do you have to have your
0: own database to use with hasura right, right so today it's only postgres and you need to kind of own your own database so hasura is an open source service so you run that open source service in front of the database wherever you have your database Okay. you can have it on RDS on Heroku on your laptop you know on prem wherever like our users deploy it all over the place and then you have hasura sitting in front of that talking to the database why Postgres? Because Postgres is the best database. Okay. I mean, <laughs> there is no other database. Uh, but but Postgres is a really good uh, general purpose application database. Like if you're starting to build an application today, one of the best choices that, that you could make is Postgres. That's one. There is also a strategic implication to using Postgres because if you look at a lot of new databases that are being built today, you know, like the non-relational planet scale databases, like yeah. there's Cockroach DB, there's Cockroach Labs that's building Cockroach DB, there's yeah. YugaByte, there's Timescale DB, which is a time series database, there's Citus DB, which is kind of like scalar Postgres. So all of these may not be Postgres underneath, but they all speak the Postgres protocol. Gotcha. You know what I mean. So yeah. it's like if you had an application that could speak to a Postgres database, you know, you can you can switch that out and replace that with uh, with something else, sort of. Okay, so, interesting. So so that works out well. So
1: you 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 say your open source protocol. So your entire product is open source. It's completely open source. 100%. Okay. Yeah. I've got more follow up questions for that, but to talk more about Hasura and how it sort of stands in the middle, like what sort of are we? So a lot of the listeners actually are familiar with GraphQL and Prisma, right. Right? and so like. To use that context, how would you compare against
0: like a Prisma? Got it, got it. So I think a little bit of the technology sounds similar. Prisma helps you get GraphQL on top of a database, yeah. and so do we. But the positioning in the product is very different. So, uh, for example, Prisma is like what is traditionally called an ORM in your, if you're building an application, right? Yeah. You typically have a front end. A backend and a database. Yeah. And then the backend has to talk to the database, right? Like whatever business logic you write has to talk to the database. And that uses an ORM. So if you were using Java, you would use like a JDBC connector. If you were using Rails, you would have Active Record. If you were yeah. using Python, you'd have SQL Alchemy. With Node, you'd have Next, SQLize. So these are the traditional ORMs. And what Prisma wants to do is replace those ORMs with GraphQL using Prisma. So yeah. Prisma sits between the database and your business logic. And then your business logic kind of goes through that. Okay. We're very different. We're more like AppSync. Okay. Where we're saying that hey, write your own GraphQL service just the way you want to. You, you use Prisma, don't use Prisma, whatever you want to do. But the CRUD and the real-time portion of your GraphQL um, of your GraphQL API, that's the bit that we'll do. So what Hasura does is it gives you that GraphQL API on your database, but it gives you access control so that you know you can I mean it's not like direct access to your database. But Hasura also does schema stitching so that what you can do is you can have your own graphql services you know they can be in serverless functions they can be microservices they can be written in java talking to oracle doesn't matter yeah. but you can stitch that together with hasura schema and then your app can use hey i want current real time stuff that's high performance out of the box with hasura but i need to make a payment api that's your business logic yeah. uh, and so all of that comes together does okay, that yeah. does that make sense yeah and i mean uh, the schema stitching
1: like that sounds pretty valuable for myself, because I build a lot of projects for GitHub, right. um, just that's like my base layer, and it's my example apps all start with GitHub right. uh, for obvious reasons. I work there, <laughs> so like schema stitching is something that's really like front of mind for myself, but I've never really had a good solution for it. And I know we've had a lot of the community members uh, in GraphQL provide solutions, but they all seem like challenging or maybe scratch like one a couple checkboxes, right. but it doesn't really right. check. A lot of my boxes. Mm-hmm. So I've always been challenged in trying to approach schema stitching. And I've sort of like given up on it in the last six months <laughs> and sort of trying to wait until there's like a, a better um, solution. Yeah, a better solution, something I could just like drop in. And it, it. it sounds like Hersura is like. is trying yeah. to give you that
0: experience. So you should try it out and let me know what you think about okay, it. Okay, yeah. I wasn't, yeah. wasn't even aware of that feature <laughs> set. So I'll
1: definitely try it out. Um, yeah. So the reason you're here in SF and we're, we're talking face to face is because you were here for
0: a number of conferences, too, as well. So what sort of conferences have you been at? Um, So I started about three weeks ago speaking at a Postgres Conf here in San Jose. Then I went to Finland for speaking at GraphQL Finland. Okay, Uh, That was super fun. And uh, then uh, came down here for Jamstack Conf. I was doing a lightning talk there. I was showing how you can have a Gatsby site that uses Postgres as a data source at build time, and then how you can whenever something changes in the database, you can trigger a build on Netlify. So that was a super cool, exciting demo. Uh, it was a ten-minute live demo. It was pretty uh, nerve-wracking. It was super fun. And then now we have I'm I'm attending GraphQL Summit, which is uh, you know yeah, tomorrow, this, day after yeah, tomorrow, and then we're hosting GraphQL Contributor Days. Early next week, so it's the first edition. We have a bunch of contributors from the GraphQL community, Lee Byron. Uh, we have like Uri Goldstein, who's just built a bunch of new tools, kind of putting them everybody together in a room and discussing a few advanced problems with, okay. you know, GraphQL or scaling large apps in GraphQL. So lots of stuff. Yeah, I'll I'll be in attendance. Actually, just
1: RSVP'd for that for next Monday as oh, well. Awesome, awesome, yeah. great to so, see you there. Uh, one of the organizers, I think, reached out to me. Sweet, awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely be there. Um, look forward to seeing all the talks that you you've been giving so far. But uh, I'm curious more about the the business aspect of Azure now too, as well, because sure. like you mentioned, your open source uh, framework protocol. I'm not sure what term the, you use.
0: The whole service is an open source service.
1: Open source service. So. Yeah. You're here in San Francisco for conferences but also to
0: I guess assume to build a company as well. Absolutely. So, I think on the business side what we're doing is that today we offer support to our users. So, we have a bunch of users in enterprise who kind of, you know, wanted to get started with GraphQL, had existing applications built on Postgres, deployed Hasura on it, got instantly productive, super happy. But now they need like a commercial version of the product, A, because a lot of large companies can't deploy open source products straight up inside. So that's a monetization strategy for us immediately in the short term. But going out a few quarters from now and a year from now, we're looking at adding commercial features to the product and a managed service so that you don't have to host it yourself, you don't have to operate or scale Hasura yourself. We'll run it in your cloud, VPC, in your cluster, on the cloud, wherever yeah. it is, and then we'll ops that for you so that you don't have to ops it. And so we're adding a bunch of those features over the next year. I don't want to let too many cats out of the bag, but yeah, uh, yeah. that's the that's the rough plan.
1: Yeah, that, I mean, that sounds really interesting. And I, I find it really intriguing, too, because like I literally started with GraphQL when it was like originally announced, and more of like tinkering around with it. And then by the first GraphQL Summit two years ago, I think uh, that's when the announcement of GitHub going Public uh, developer preview. So that was my intro in the GraphQL. I was actually using a real public API. So what I'm getting at is like it's interesting to see companies build around a new spec. Like Postgres has been around for a while. Like JavaScript development has been around for a while. GraphQL is very new. So it's interesting to see newer companies like sort of come out and help support the ecosystem. In addition to yourselves and Prisma and, and Apollo. Right. So I'm curious how, how long has
0: Herstory been around because I've so, only heard of
1: it since Reactathon.
0: Yeah. So I think so we built the tech out. About a year and a few months ago, and we launched the open source service just about three months ago. Three months ago, okay, yep. wow. Yep. So yep. I think when we first met
1: at the React conference, we this were year. we were
0: just starting to add support for GraphQL. Okay, uh, and then we were just like getting early feedback from users about what they think about GraphQL support, gotcha. um, and then we kind of like built that out, uh, polished that up, and then launched that. Wow, It was quick. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, got, you already had like branding
1: and like a logo at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did, we did. Yeah. Okay, it's like the um, in high school. I'm not sure how it is in India but in high school like everybody has like a garage band and like you
0: spend more time building logos and like and that merge. is that is that is always the problem. Like logos are a problem, and then naming new modules or like new things that you're building is a problem. Uh, and it's such a big problem that you can't start writing code because you need to name your folder something. Yes. And then you're like, what do I call this folder, right? Like, and whoever is the first person to name the folder has unofficially named the project. Yes. Like that has happened. Like you cannot undo that action. Yeah.
1: That, I um <laughs> actually a previous company I worked at actually Netlify I would actually name new projects. Intentionally, really bad, to see (laughs) if I could just force other people to review the naming structure and convention, and we ended up going way more generic on naming. Like we have Netlify CMS today; it's like it's a generic name. It works, but I threw out a bunch of like random names (laughs) to force the issue. Uh, And it's funny because you're you're solving one of the two hardest problems of programming, which is one's naming, and then two is n plus one query. So. Hopefully, uh,
0: Hopefully both those problems in the back. Yeah. N plus one queries is solved. The next one is uh, naming things. Yeah, and you, you <laughs> now, we
1: now have a name for adding GraphQL to our Postgres. Absolutely. I, I remember like when GraphQL first came out, there was another project that was open source, like PostGraphQL. PostGraphile.
0: Yeah, PostGraphile.
1: Yeah, yeah. so is that similar? So
0: they're also fairly similar. They're more similar to us than to Prisma. Yeah. Although... On the surface, everybody's a GraphQL API on a database. There are a few very different approaches, though. So Benji, I'm fairly close to you, a good friend of mine, who's building Postgres file. Their approach is that you know, everything kind of comes from Postgres. You know Your users are defined, your access control permissions, everything is defined inside your database, and your database is driving the entire API. Whereas our approach is a little more hybrid. We're saying that a bunch of stuff will come from your database, but a bunch of stuff might not. And so we do the schema stitching natively to help you support that. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we're super excited about, we put this up on Hacker News you know, last week and it, it went up on the front page. It was very good. Oh. Um, so we call this the three-factor app, inspired by Heroku's 12-factor app. Yes. And so the three-factor app is whatever application you build, no, Hasura doesn't matter, but whatever application you build, your backend should have real-time GraphQL and it should have event sourcing and it should have serverless. So the idea is that, you know, instead of traditionally building an API where I create an order and then I wait for the API to talk to three other microservices, you know, orchestrate that and say, hey, validate order, make a payment, check with the restaurant if it's open or not, and then return the response, right? Instead of doing that, the approach that you can take is create the order, get an order ID as a response, subscribe to the order id to see what changes are happening on the app because it's real time yes so for the user the user doesn't have to wait right the user has this experience of saying create order chuck created now you have like three tick boxes you know waiting to happen what's happening on the back end is that instead of your api kind of orchestrating a workflow you emit events And those events trigger serverless functions. And that is super cool because people want to move to serverless, right? And when people want to move to serverless, they need this event system. And so that's actually what Hasura does as well. And this is something we added very recently. And most of our users are kind of moving towards that event-driven framework. So they're saying, crud real-time Hasura, some APIs schema stitching, and as much of my code as possible, let's put it into the event-driven serverless stuff because that can scale. Like, I don't have to worry about it scaling, right? Emit an event. Serverless function comes to life. Yeah, I mean, ten thousand events, ten thousand serverless functions come to life. So that's kind of what we're going after. So it's a little different. So does Sura provide interactions with serverless functions yes. as well as like deployment yes. strategies as well as yes. part not of the not not deployment, okay. but triggering serverless functions. So integration okay. with serverless functions to trigger them, and that's what I was demoing at, at Jamstack Conf with like I was using Netlify functions. Which is like a like, yeah. like a nice wrapper on AWS Lambda. Yeah. And so that's what we were demoing. We were like, hey, something changes in the database. Let's trigger a Netlify function, make it do a build for us. You can make it do anything. Yeah. In our case, let's make it do a build. Right. So Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Netlify probably really
1: appreciates that with the Jamsec architecture. Like exactly they handle the static deployments, but to create things real time, like they definitely created Netlify functions for your your use case, which right. is great. I'm curious, uh, can we sort of go back in time? I'm curious, what was your introduction to GraphQL? What what made you
0: want to start a company and how did you get introduced to this? Right, so it's a a little bit of a convoluted story. So we always had this hypothesis that like API development should be far simpler than it currently is. Yeah. There's a lot of boring work that you're doing. Like crud in real time, it's, it's boring. Like, why is everybody writing those APIs again? Like, write the smart stuff, write the cool features. Why are you doing this, right? And so we always wanted to automate that portion, right? And so what we'd done a year ago when we first built this, and we were just building this out, we had JSON APIs. We heard about GraphQL, and we were like, nah. yeah, what is this? What, a new language? I don't need a new language on the client. Like, yeah. I have JSON. Like, why why would I want GraphQL? And then every time we would talk about our JSON APIs, it would sound as if I'm describing a GraphQL API. I'd be like, hey, instead of having multiple API endpoints, why don't you have one JSON query to fetch exactly what you want? Yeah. And then hey, like, I'm like, if I just replace JSON with GraphQL, that sounds like I'm describing GraphQL, yeah. right? And I think it was our immaturity in not understanding that the key feature and, and, and I it, and it did a blog post talking about why you should not build a JSON API uh, and you should build a GraphQL API. And the key insight for me was what's awesome about GraphQL is, is not the query language. Like, Falkor, Netflix Falcor has it. You know, yeah. OData is another spec. They all allow you to fetch data in a single query. You know, avoiding that whole multiple REST query problem. And so did our JSON API. But the coolest thing about GraphQL and any GraphQL server is introspection. Like, every GraphQL server, like, if I'm a GraphQL server, you're a GraphQL client, you can query me for data, and I'll respond to you with data. But you can also query me for, hey, what models do you have? And I'll tell you the models. And then you can say, but can you describe this product model for me? And then I'll tell you, hey, a product has an ID and a name and a nested brand. So that ability makes GraphQL the coolest thing because that's what's happened in the community. Everybody has built such amazing client-side tools. Yeah. App developers have an amazing experience. Like Imagine the experience that you know I have an IDE and in my IDE when I'm building an Android app, I'm getting an autocomplete for my API. Yeah. that's insane, right? Like that experience for an application developer is, is is amazing because I don't have to go to like an Excel sheet where there's documentation yeah. or Swagger where there's documentation or, or worry about like a typo. My ID is giving me that feedback because the community has built tools to like, use that introspection of the GraphQL server you know, to build cool stuff. Like you have Apollo clients doing caching for you, you have this ID tooling, you have um, Ivan at API Guru who's built a GraphQL Voyager which kind of visualizes your GraphQL yeah. API for you. So that's really what makes GraphQL amazing, right? It's the ability for GraphQL to spawn community tools like us or like anybody around it. And that's something that we didn't understand before actually using GraphQL. Yeah. And then once we used GraphQL, we were like, we, we, we are the stupidest people on the planet yeah. who have not added
1: GraphQL support. Yeah, your, your story is very, I mean, we've had a quite a few people actually share their story of how they got into GraphQL. Like, this is not a GraphQL podcast, but we've had a quite a few GraphQL stories shared. And I think Coursera comes to mind where they were building their own API sort of introspection tool on top of REST and JSON. And uh, Meteor is another one that also, right. the reason why Apollo Exist and like they were so far ahead is because they were already building something mm-hmm. that looked like GraphQL and then they noticed that this spec was slightly better and there was more people attaching themselves to it. So it's cool to see like now we we'll have contributor days, which is next week, and hopefully future contributor days as well for GraphQL. Uh, just on my ride over here, I saw Lee Byron announce the GraphQL Foundation absolutely as well, which is huge. Which is um, amazing. Lee Riley, who now is at uh, Robinhood, I think uh, he left yet. Facebook. But it's very important that now we have a foundation. So now we can continue to like the create the tools um, to help build the community and stuff like yep, that. Yep. Speaking of tools, actually, I was just uh, so I was working on my talk for this week at GraphQL Summit. I'm going to be giving a talk around um, improving developer experience uh, using the GitHub GraphQL API. Mm-hmm. And uh, I joined GitHub about six months ago, and I didn't really put much time in the GraphQL until like the last couple months to prepare for my talk, mainly because I was just trying to ramp up and do some other stuff with the API things. And I missed out on all those all the new things that came out in the last six like, six months. And right. I think the community is sort of like. Overlapped itself on all the things you could do. Like now you could add Atom plugins and VS Code plugins to get that auto completion uh, with your queries, which is great. And one of my biggest gripes for the GitHub API was when I was using it, outside of GraphQL, is that all the information for like the reference points were all built over the 10-year span of the API being existing. Right. Right. So there's a lot of like weird, like this endpoint has this sort of data this format type right. but then when you go to like issues you'll have a whole another format types that are be returned so you have right. to sort of plan for all the breaking changes that happen over the past like four versions and with graphql you don't have to worry about that because they can actually improve the endpoints without breaking apis right. right so what's your thoughts on adoption for graphql
0: ah of course like i want it to be the biggest thing since sliced bread right yeah. like yes of course because because i'm in it so i have a few data points on this but I think that replacing a huge chunk of your API with GraphQL is going to happen. It makes a lot of sense. What doesn't make sense to me is replacing 100% of your APIs with GraphQL. Like I would still do auth with REST APIs just because there's so much good infrastructure around OAuth2 and JWT and stuff like that. I I just want to reuse that. I don't want to reinvent the wheel for that, right? And like stuff like binary stuff like you know file uploads large streaming media uploads. Like, I would rather just use the existing APIs. They've solved that problem well. But for the data portion of stuff, like, I don't mean the database, but I just mean, like, the the data portion of your app, right? GraphQL should replace that and will replace that. The very cool thing that I've seen with GraphQL, which I've not seen with any other technology, is that when GraphQL came out as a spec, it got immediate adoption in, like, Old school enterprises. Yeah, One of our clients is a Fortune 500 healthcare company who you would not typically associate with like modern software or they're on the bleeding edge, but they adopted GraphQL instantly. The second it came out, the architect looked at it and said, we have a huge problem with our internal platform and people who are building apps internally using these APIs that we have. And we have so much of this documentation problem and people talking to each other we want GraphQL. And then when we released like our high-performance GraphQL blog post, they used it, evaluated it within weeks and they're on it. And that's insane. I work closely with a Fortune 3 bank. They started using GraphQL two years ago. They forked the first version of the Facebook GraphQL spec. And they started using, I mean, two years ago.
1: Yeah.
0: Like a Fortune 3 bank Yeah, (laughs) like that's insane, right? That's pretty awesome. That's insane. And they've poured in millions of dollars to kind of get that GraphQL layer running internally. It's fairly important for them to have that internal like, central platform for doing governance kind of stuff and whatnot. But it was amazing for me to see that kind of adoption for GraphQL, right? It means that it's very rare that you can have technologies that solve a process and political problem, right? Yeah, it's very rare for that to have. It's not yeah. common. Like it's it's common to have. Oh, well, we have the next big database. We have the next big. This. We have the next big this, but to have technology that changes the politics of how a team works, right? Yeah, that's very rare, and it's amazing that we've gotten this far in such a short amount of time. So, GraphQL is gonna stay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: I'm a, I'm I'm sort of banking on that as well. Yeah. So, if someone wants to get started with Hasura, like we have a Postgres app, or they're interested, like what's a good place to? Um, So, just head to the website. We have a try it on Heroku thing. We're the number one button on Heroku. We're the number one thing that's deployed to Heroku. Yeah. Congratulations Um, on that. That's that's good. I I opened up the Heroku uh, ecosystem page like last week, and I saw hey number one is Hasura. Like above everything else uh, that was insane so that's the fastest experience you can go to the website click on try it on heroku you'll have your postgres and a hasura provisioned within like 30 seconds use the ui you know make a table get your graphql api instantly like within a minute you'll have your first api your first nice. database cool well Tenmai, thanks for coming on and talk about hasura uh, i'll
1: transition us over to jam picks so these things are things keeping you going food music picks technology picks all of the above and since you're so well prepared, would you like to go first as our guest?
0: Absolutely. So I'm from all over the country in India. Uh, I, I I'm technically from the north. I lived in the west, and I spent like the last decade in the south. And my favorite kind of food is a South Indian breakfast. There is nothing nothing in the world that comes close to a South Indian breakfast. And if any of you are listening in on this and you have not had a South Indian breakfast and you want a connoisseur's introduction to it, please hit me up on Twitter and I'll take you to a bunch of places in the Bay Area and we will have a South Indian breakfast. You can actually get it here. Yep, 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 yep. There are a bunch of nice places that have it. Well, you'll be here for a while, so I need to hit you up. (laughs) Absolutely. For sure. Any other picks for us? If you're reading something... And you want like the next book to read. And if you're into science fiction, I would highly recommend uh, The Three-Body Problem. It's by a Chinese uh, author called Xi Xin Liu. It is the most mind-expanding book that you will ever read. And it's very contextualized to, to the way China sees itself in the way the space race is kind of evolving. And it's, it's amazingly insightful. Um, it's very well-written, amazing ideas. And so you should definitely give that a read. All right, so I've got some picks and my first
1: pick is going to be GraphQL Summit. So it's happening this week. By the time this comes out, the videos will be on YouTube. So check out my talk uh, on the GitHub GraphQL API. Also, one of my coworkers will be talking about how to build, how we built the GitHub GraphQL API. So it's probably the most uh, detailed uh, information uh, to date as far as what GitHub's done. So check that out. And I also check out my talk from last year about if you're interested and you don't have a Postgres API and you just have a REST API that you want to get GraphQL in. Uh, I did a, a lightning talk on Working with complicated APIs uh, the same way, and I talked about building wrappers, uh, so gateways, awesome. um, using leveraging existing tools like Launchpad, which now you can use like serverless functions to do this as well. Got it. So check that out if you're interested. I also I have a, a Reddit I've been actually following as of recent, which is Frugal Male Fashion. This Reddit actually provides like awesome tips on like things that are on sale and clothing. And I mentioned this because I've been, since I lived in the Bay Area, I've been using Amazon to buy all my t-shirts. So previously, um, the now forgotten American Apparel, you can get like four dollar t-shirts, American Apparel shirts. So when I moved here, all I did was go to meetups and collect tech t-shirts. And I realized those are the most comfortable t-shirts. So I was like, well, I don't really want to like wear other people's brands, but I'll wear this shirt because it's so comfortable. So I started buying them on Amazon for like three or four bucks right. a pop. And then American Apparel went out of business. So I've recently discovered, thanks to Frugal male Fashion, that uh, canvas tees, uh, uh, I've been using, uh, buying a lot, uh, tall tees. Um, they're a little more expensive, though, ironically, because they're not made in America, but they're like around six or seven bucks a pop. But I mean, it's way cheaper than walking into any store and down on Market Street or in the mall or whatever to buy a shirt that is not worth that amount of money. So anyway, I uh, awesome. highly recommend going to Amazon, go to Frugal Mail Fashion on Reddit, and uh, improving your, your fashion, because we all need help around that. So that's all I have for picks. Uh Again, Tamai, thanks for coming on, chatting Thank about you. Asura and GraphQL and the future of GraphQL. And listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter, at Jamstack Radio.